Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. Today I'm going to be teaching out of Matthew chapter 20, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, I'll get there in a little bit. Uh, if you're visiting with us, I appreciate it. Y'all a good-looking crowd today. You're supposed to say, well, we're a good-looking crowd every day. But you're honest people, so I appreciate that. <laughs> Last week, we started a conversation about, about who we are. We spend a lot of time talking about how and who, but we need to know why we are what we are. And we've been talking about our attitude for, for this be the second week, our attitude, the attitude we take in our ministry and our approach to ministry, our philosophy of ministry, if you will, the method by which we accomplish our mission statement, which is to be a place where people can come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. I hope that you know that by now, but let me tell you, that's where we're going. The question is, how do we get there, and why are we trying to get there? The how we get there is our attitude. It's our philosophy of ministry. It's the method we use to ensure that we get to this place. Amen? And that attitude, that philosophy of ministry, many of you know it, or you, if you're not familiar with it, um, look on the back of uh, her T-shirt. It says, love them, serve them, speak kindly to them. This is how we do what God's called us to do. Our attitude is to love people, serve people, and speak kindly to people when the rest of the world doesn't want to. That's right. And we live in a world where the rest of the world doesn't want to. And if they do want to, they're not showing that they want to in any way that's of any consequence or circumstance or certainly that's creating any true change in their attitude, their disposition, or their lifestyle. I believe that when we love people, when we serve them and speak kindly to them, according to 1 Kings chapter 12, they will serve the king all the days of their life, which is our ultimate goal. Everything we accomplish here is for the purpose of being a place where people can come to know God. We want them to serve the king all the days of the, our life, even if it be, of their lives, even if that means we make ourselves less. And probably it's going to require that we make ourselves less. And so we started this conversation last week about love and how we have a responsibility to love them according to Scripture that we've been given a directive to love them. We've been given the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus is the source to love them and commandments to increase in our love for them. The depth of our love for people should grow as our depth for God grows. I love the, the way the scripture lays it out. In Leviticus, it starts with love your neighbor as yourself. It's pretty simple, right? But then Jesus in the New Testament says, I want you to love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you. That's different than loving your enemy as yourself. 
That's a deeper kind of love. Y'all ever have to pray for somebody trying to persecute you, someone that didn't love you, someone that was trying to be on you? Let me tell you, that's harder than just loving your neighbor. But then he takes it one step further because our growth in our love should grow, should do exactly that. He says, I don't want you to just love your neighbor. I don't want you to just pray for those who persecute you. I want you to love them as I love you. And you're all, oh, that's a gut punch. That's a gut punch because that's hard, because that's a true commandment. That's a directive that you have to spend your whole life intentionally pursuing. Because to say that God wants us to love others the way that he loved us, that means that we have to sacrifice everything that we are because he sacrificed everything he was so that we could be who we are, so that we could have the opportunity to serve the king all the days of our life. I'm grateful for that. We should be grateful for the opportunity to do for others that which Christ did for us. Amen? Now, we can't save them. Don't get me wrong. We can't do that. But we can do these three things. Love them. Serve them. Speak kindly to them. When Angela and I first started going to church together back in 2006, I wasn't saved. I went to Cornerstone for one time. I just said, I'm going to go one time to this church because she told me she wouldn't date me if I didn't go to church with her. So I was like, I'll go to this church. I got invited to this church a year ago. Most of you know this story. And I sat there for three months before I gave my life to the Lord, even though I intended to only go one time and then shop around. And I got asked one time, why did you stay for the three months? Because those people loved me, served me, and spoke kindly to me in a way I'd never been loved, served, and spoke kindly to. And they beat back the darkness of the world long enough for me to see Jesus. Now, that took three months for the Spirit to deal with me. But let me tell you, it was them as the initiator of God's grace for me that made me realize they had something I didn't have, and I wanted it. And that's what we should be doing for other people. This is our method of ministry, our philosophy of ministry, the attitude we should have regarding ministry. To love them, and because we love them, serve them. Because these two things can't be separated. To love them is to serve them. And to serve them is to love them. Now, that, I, that sounds quippy, man. Like, you, you can tweet that all day long, and it's going to get retweeted, and people are going to post it and talk about it because it sounds fancy. But I can actually prove it to you in Scripture, which I would quite honestly rather do, so I will. In Galatians chapter 5, 13 and 14, I want you to pay attention to this. For you are called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. It means don't, don't take the love that you've been given, the freedom that you've been given, the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for you, and use it just for you. It wasn't given to you just for you. If it was given to you just for you, God, I'm convinced that God would have killed you the day he saved you and took you home because you served your purpose already. He says, into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Love can't be separated from service because service is a product of love. But then it continues, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
So he says, you've been given freedom. Use your freedom to love so that you might serve because you've been commanded to love. These two things have to exist together, love and service. When I first started preaching here at Launch Point Church, within a few months, I was talking about service in a separate sermon. And I, I believe that that sermon title was uh, Freed to Serve. Freed to Serve. And I got that out of Exodus. When God saved us, when God saved the Egyptians out of, or the Hebrews out of Egypt, you know what he didn't say? He didn't send Moses to say, I need you to let my people go so that they can live their best life now. I need you to set my people free so they could have their own heart's desire, so they could chase after their own passions, their own desires, their own stuff, so that they can have everything they've ever dreamed of having. They've been in bondage long enough. Let them be free. Let them drink. Let them eat. Let them be merry. God didn't say any of those things through Moses. This is what God said through Moses in several different places. Every time he sat at Moses, sat in front of the Pharaoh, this is what he said. Chapter 4, verse 23. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. In 7, 16, let my people go that they may serve me. 8, 1, let my people go that they may serve me. 8, 20, let my people go that they may serve me. 9, 1, let my people go that they may serve me. 13, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. 10, 3, let my people go that they may serve me. Man, do you think God's trying to say something? That's what I would call in Scripture normative behavior. God set us free for, for the express purpose of, of loving as we were loved so that we may serve other people, so that other people through our service might see God in us and desire that which we have. That's good. Thank you, Lord. And so the question has to be, how are we doing? How are we doing? And I hope to talk about that today. We've been called to be Christian servants people who express our loyalty to, the, loyalty to the king by serving other people. And I'm going to talk about what that should look like out of chapter 20 of Matthew. I'm going to start in 17, and I want this verse to break your heart the way that it broke mine. 17 through 19. As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves. Now, he's going to Jerusalem for an express purpose. He's about to tell them. And on the way, he said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man, he's speaking of himself, of course, will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. 
These guys spent three and a half years with Jesus. He's their best friend. Any of y'all ever have a best friend? Like a true best friend, somebody that you'd wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, you'd go to their aid if they needed something. You'd give them a shirt off your back, the last nickel in your checking account, if that's what they needed. I've got friends like that. But Jesus was a better friend than that. But it makes no mention that there was mourning when he made this announcement, that there was sadness when he made this announcement, there wasn't confusion when he made this announcement. There was nothing to believe that they cared anything about that because the very next statement is this in verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her son, sons, James and John, bowing down and making a request of him. This should break us. Jesus just said, I'm going to Jerusalem. We're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over, crucified. They knew what crucified was. It wasn't some vague idea to them what crucifixion looked like. You could see people crucified on any street in Jerusalem, I'm sure. Any street in the Roman Empire, you could see or will have seen what that looks like. And the first thing she does is she wants to make a request of him. And this is what that request looks like. I'm going to read all the way down to 34. And he, he said to her, what do you wish? She, she said to him, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. That's a selfish request. That's not a request of service. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? They said to him, we are able. They're <laughs> so ignorant. He said to them, my cup you shall drink. But to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. Y'all understand why that is, right? Because these two brothers took their mama and went to Jesus and made a request that they be greater than their ten friends. So they got all fussy about it. I'd be fussy about that too. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. He shows us how to serve them as he serves us in Matthew 22. 20 through 28. I got four points I want to make out of this text just to simplify the process of note taking. And the first one is this to serve properly, if we're going to serve them, we have to check our motives. Yeah. This gets me. King James Version, this, this Bible says, that she came with her sons, bowed down, made a request of him. King James Version says, worshiping him and desiring a thing from him. If your worship is only worship because you desire a thing from God, you're not worshiping. Yeah. You don't understand service. You don't understand the king that you serve. 
God gives everything out of his hand because he's sovereign and loving, gracious, kind, and merciful, long-suffering. That's why he gives us what we, what we need, Amen. not because we falsely worship him. Do we think that our God is so ignorant that he can't see through the reason of our worship? We're all, man, I'm just going, you know what? I need this thing from God. I'm going to spend 10 minutes in worship. He's he going to give me what I want because I'm going to manipulate him into giving him what I... He's not your four-year-old kid. He knows what you're doing. We should worship because he deserves to be worshipped. Our God deserves to be worshipped. What is our motive in worshiping God? It should be to magnify him, to glorify him, to glorify the name of Jesus, to allow... And I use this verbiage pretty regular because it's the only verbiage I could think of that makes it makes sense to me, is to release your imagination to the bigness of God, to how great and glorious and magnificent and beautiful He is. And why do I say release your imagination? Because you can't in your finite mind know. All you can do is meditate and think through Scripture about what He must look like how great he truly is, how powerful he truly is, how, how wonderfully and beautifully imaginative he must be to make a lake sit in the middle of a mountain, to tell the oceans where to stop, to tell birds when, where, and how to fly, to color them every color, to make animals of every variation, to make the universe as huge as it is for one purpose, to display how magnificent and beautiful he is. Hallelujah. I heard a guy, Louis Giglio, one time, he said, he said, you know, if we're the only people in the universe and the whole universe exists, I hear people say, why would God make this whole big universe just to show us, just if he's not going to put anything in it? And he said, I believe he made the universe as big as he made it just to show us how big he is. He made the universe just so you could look up at the sky and say, I don't understand that God. I can't grab a hold of the magnificent beauty of that God, but I know that God loves me, and that should drive you to worship. That should drive you to your knees, not your motives, not your false motives, not your desires, not your contemptuous idea that you're going to somehow manipulate the omnipotent God. Man, that's good right there. We have to figure out what our motives are. I took an ethics class when I was in criminal justice. I, my undergraduate's in criminal justice because, as most of you know, I was a police officer for 20 years. And in this ethics class, it asked this question. It says, how often do you do something for someone else with an expectation that you will be rewarded or receive compensation? That's a tough question, man. I've been saved maybe a year and a half, two years when this question was posed to me by my professor. And it was a tough question. Essentially, he's asking, when you serve someone else, what is your expected return on investment? Do you serve because you're waiting for them to do something for you? Do you serve because they're going to pat you on the back and appreciate you? It could be something as simple as your return on investment is an expectation that you'll feel good about yourself. And can I tell you, unless your reason for serving is to serve 
in the betterment of someone else, your motive is wrong. Even if it's just as simple as it makes me feel good about me. You want to know why every soup kitchen in America is full of volunteers on Thanksgiving? Because they have a service return on investment idea. They want, it, they want to be able to tell people, I served on Thanksgiving. They want to be patted on their back. They want to feel good about themselves. But what happens in the middle of July when it's 100 degrees outside and people are still homeless and still hungry? Where are they at then? They're in their air conditioning because their air conditioning makes them feel better than their service. We have to feel good about our motives. But let me tell you, when you feel good about your motives, you're wrong. Our motives have to be so that Christ be known so that people can come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and ultimately make a difference. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what we should do for other people. Number two, to serve them, we have to expect it to cost us something. 22 through 23 said, He said to them, My cup you shall drink, not in a way they thought, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. In hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. So he said, listen, it's going to cost you something. You're going to drink the same cup I'm drinking of. He knew what he was going to pay. He knew the price he would have to pay, Jesus did. In Matthew 26, 39, he said this, in his flesh, you all understand, let me, let me break down a little simple theology for you. God was fully man and fully human, or fully human and fully God, which means he struggled with all the stuff you struggle with. But by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of him, praise God, you have that same Holy Spirit in you. He was able to subdue, overcome, and not lay subject to the sin temptation in his life. Amen? So he says this, that flesh part of him still existed, though. Matthew 26, 39, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He knows what's about to happen because he's fully God. Who of us wouldn't pray the same prayer? God, I don't want to do this. They're going to rip the flesh off my bones. They're going to put spikes in my hand. They're going to put a crown of thorns on my head and dig it down into my scalp. They're going to spit on me. They're going to punch me in the face. Then they're going to hang me from a cross. They're going to stab a spear in my side. Make me drag that rugged cross. And I'm not talking about the song. I'm talking about it would have been a truly rugged timber through the streets of Jerusalem. They're going to make me do that. God, I don't want to do that but I do want to do what you want me to do. And if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. Having prayed that prayer, in a different gospel, same story, Jesus says this in John 18, 11, Put your sword away. If you're familiar with this story, Peter whacks the ear off of the guard guy. Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? He prayed through, got to a place where he knew it didn't matter. He was going to serve. Well, if I could have made that last word rhyme, I would have been into something there. But we have to get to a place where we recognize 
that we serve because it's the Father's will that we serve, no matter what that looks like, no matter what that costs us, because it will cost us something. Service that costs us nothing is worth nothing. My favorite verse, as many of you know, is John 3.30. It's kind of a little verse. It doesn't make much sense out of context, but it says, He must increase, I must decrease. This is John the Baptist talking about Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene. John the Baptist recognizing that he's just there to make the way for Jesus. Jesus is there, so it's time for him to step out of the way. He says, I must in- He must increase, I must decrease. Can I tell you? Although he's talking about Jesus, this should be our attitude in regards to serving other people. When I look at someone who isn't saved, first thing should pop into my mind, he must increase, I must decrease. When I see somebody who is saved but struggling, he must increase, but I must decrease. Because I have to extend the same grace to them God extended to me. I have to extend the same love God extended to me, the same service that God extended to me. Sometimes that means I have to get lower than them so I can lift them up so that they can become greater. When I say sometimes, I mean almost every time. Max Lucado in his book called Grace defined grace as a God who stoops. And if God's willing to do it and we aren't, shame on us. What am I saying? I'm not saying a whole lot other than it's time that the church serve people. Not just in this church. It's important that we serve one another. It's important that we love one another. It's important that we encourage and lift up one another. But let me tell you, if you only do what you do inside of these walls without taking it outside these walls, you've defeated the purpose. God should have, like I said a moment ago, taken you home already. This is the practice field. This is the practice field for kindness This is the practice practice field for long-suffering. This is the practice field for unity. This is the practice field for all the things the Bible tells us to do out there. God gave us the church so we could do it amongst the fellowship of believers because this should be our safe place. Oh, I didn't love you like you wanted to be loved? I'm sorry. Tell me how you wanted to be loved. But instead we go, I'm church hurt. You're not church hurt. You're just immature. Now, if someone intentionally hurts you, that's something we need to deal with. But if they just didn't serve you the way you thought you should be served, you're not church hurt. Or if you were disciplined, that's not church hurt. Boy, come on, somebody. I'm not going to get in on this. But church discipline is not church hurt. I'm not going to go in there today. I ain't got time. But he must increase, I must decrease should be the mantra of the servant in regard to every person we come into contact with. And you're thinking, man, how can I do that? That takes, it's going to cost me a lot of stuff. I want to, I, everything in my flesh wants to pull away from that. To that, I give you this encouragement out of 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always. Everybody say always. always. Man, don't pull back. Always. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. 
because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I, I am the not in vain work of someone else's work in the Lord. I am the not in vain work of Pastor Rick's work. I want you to be able to say the same thing about someone else and someone else say the same thing about you as you point them to Jesus. And that's best done when we love them and we serve them. Number three, to serve them, we have to put them first. 24 through 27 says the 10 became indignant. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know, the rules of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. You know, that happens in the church too. It's sad. There's preachers, pastors, lay leaders that lord their authority. There's people that you work with that lord their authority. There's maybe people you work over that you've lorded your authority over them. But Jesus says this, it's not this way with you. It shouldn't be this way with you. You should do everything you can to ensure that you're serving other people. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Isn't that paradoxical? Wait a minute, you want me to be, you want me to be greater by being a servant? Yes. You'll be greater in the kingdom of God by being a servant than you'll ever be on earth by being someone who lords authority. Because let me tell you, your authority isn't a fruit that you can throw at the feet of Jesus. Your service and the people that you bring to the Lord through your service is. Hmm. We have to put them first because Jesus put them first. Jesus put us first. So why, how is he able to do it? He did. He was able to serve because that's what he came to do. It says the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I want to I give you the secret to service. If I can, I'm, I'm going to give it to you out of, uh, I think, John 13, 1 through 4. Yeah. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. And he girded himself to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus was able to serve the way he should serve, the same way we can serve, the way we serve. 
It says this, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper. He knew whose he was. And then he got up and girded himself. He not only knew whose he was, but he knew who he was. Let me tell you, it's easy to serve when you realize you ain't that big a deal. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> I, I'm able to serve at the capacity that I serve, and I lack sometimes, because cause my life's but a vapor. It's a mist. It's the only thing I've got. The only legacy that I can ever count on living beyond my breathing years is my willingness to love and serve other people to a place where they recognize there's something in me that they need. Ask me what that is, and I get to tell them about my Jesus. That's how we serve people, so that they can come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. It's not easy, but it's necessary. It wasn't easy for Jesus, but it's necessary. So the question is, can you take confidence and comfort in who you belong to and in who you are so that you can dismiss who you are, recognizing that you're not that big a deal, so that you can become less, so that someone else can become greater in Christ Jesus. That's my prayer. Let us serve them the way Jesus served us. Amen.